and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church and we hope to be meeting in a new building somewhere in the Los Feliz area very soon in 2021. We are in a new phase of lockdown life. The first Sunday of each month will be a live Zoom service at 10.30am. Do join us for those. We found it to be pretty soul-restoring to get together in a way that feels real, virtual as they may be. The other three services of the month are pared down, consisting of just a talk and a song of worship. We plan to provide you with more online worship and teaching resources, and to pour our energies into more personal connections. We're praying for you, and we're here. Enjoy this week's podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Raul, and I'm so happy that you can join us from wherever you may be, however you may be listening to this talk. Um, And if you're looking to get a bit more face time with us, we're hosting a book club for the next six weeks. We just started this Wednesday, and we're going through the book called Roadmap to Reconciliation by Brenda Salter McNeil, and it has just been so fun, so incredible. Um, And if you are interested, um, we still have room available. And all the information is online on our website. It's Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And we'll be running this for the next uh, five weeks. And also beginning March 9th, we are starting a course called The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And this also runs for six weeks. And we'll have more info on that soon. Um, But this week, we're going to continue our series, Antidotes to Bad Things, from the Book of Acts. And the Book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke. He was a historian and a doctor. However, it was produced for a dude named Theophilus. And Theophilus was new to the faith. And the fact that he commissioned this work meant that he was wealthy, of a higher social status, and Luke creates this historical account that includes eyewitness testimonies and his own personal stories of the church's booming growth after the resurrection of Jesus. The traditional name of this book is the Acts of the Apostles, but more accurately, it is the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Um, And a purpose behind the way he writes is to help develop Theophilus from an immature Christian to a mature one. It's a journey we all find ourselves on. When I first started getting into backpacking, I used whatever was at my disposal. As someone who grew up in the city, I didn't really camp much. Our family mainly did the uh, beach resorts in Mexico or the casinos in Vegas. And so when I got into backpacking, I had no idea what I was doing. I went with a heavy military-grade backpack that I was given. I used whatever cookware I had at home. And I brought along numerous water bottles, canned goods, a tent from Costco. I picked up whatever boots I could find. And none of this was rated for backpacking. And the thing with backpacking, if you haven't already guessed, is you're carrying everything on your back. So you want the most lightweight and compact equipment so you can go farther because longevity is the name of the game. And similarly, when we come to Jesus, we are carrying things that may not be rated for this journey. 
Uh, we're bringing in what has been at our disposal for survival and most of it doesn't transfer over. What Jesus wants to do is set us up with his equipment so we can go the distance and be who it is that he's made us to be. And one of the things that is often carried over is this icky thing called greed. Greed is a human response for survival. If I can build up my inventory, my possessions, then I can withstand anything. Greed lies to us and says that our security is in what we own. I own this or I own that and therefore I am safe. And greed says to us, the more you have, the safer you will be. So what is the antidote to greed? First, where does it come from? And how does this thing get shaken off? In order to get rid of it, we need to know where it comes from. None of us wake up one day and decide, I'm going to be greedy from now on. We don't walk out the door and on our way out, put on the hat of greed or the coat of envy. Um, and so where does it come from? It may come from the least likely of places. It may come from a place we would not imagine. It sneaks up on us. It infiltrates our way of being. And as a staff, we've been attending a virtual conference on the subject of discipling out racism. One thing that has been highlighted for me is how racism has been discipled into us. It has been covertly formed into the way we see the world. Racism is obviously not greed, but it is helpful to understand that historically, racism has often fueled greed and vice versa. And so, could it be that greed also has been formed into us? It may have been covertly discipled in from the least likely of places. Here's an instance where greed has sneaked into the church the least likely of places. In the 1500s, the Spaniards landed in Latin America and they put together a document called El Requerimiento, or the requirement. I struggled a lot saying that word before this. Anyways, the document demanded submission of indigenous communities to Spanish rule and religious instruction because it claimed that indigenous people were inferior and they needed the Spaniards to save them. So this justified the Spanish pursuit of land, wealth, power, and privilege, and greed, not grace, was at the center of the Spanish pursuit, and the church was behind it. And as this was happening, a Spanish church leader named Bartolomé de las Casas saw how greed infiltrated the church to justify racist agendas. He stood up to the Spanish Empire and to complicit church leaders on behalf of the indigenous and prophetically declared that the indigenous and those in the future will see Spanish leaders were not pastors, but plunderers, not fathers, but tyrants. And defending indigenous communities, he was claiming that grace over greed was the way. And 500 years later, in our American church context, these words of Las Casas are still relevant in many cases. And so we are in dire need of the vision in this passage in Acts. 
from the outside looking in, we can see why people would see the church as being greedy or materialistic. They've seen pastors that look more like celebrities than anything else. Televangelists um, that ask for money in exchange for divine favor. Church leaders with private planes, exclusive green rooms. And it is so culturally obvious that HBO has released a show mocking it all. And I bring this up not to shame parts of the church, but so that we can check ourselves. As followers of Jesus, we are meant for more than the scraps that greed offers. And as we'll see in this story, the antidote to greed stems from an inward orientation towards grace. Here is Acts 4, 32 through 5, verse 11. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have lied not just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is one of the most difficult passages in all of the New Testament. Some have heard many different things about this passage. 
that have caused us to question God's character. We may have asked, does God really strike people down? Or we've heard this twisted in a way that supports the hard rule of tithing. I'll try to unpack this in a moment. But first, in this act scene, we see the Spirit is at work. The apostles are preaching. People are coming to Jesus. The sick are being healed. The demonized are being liberated. Christians are giving up their possessions. They're laying down their privilege. They're signing up for book club. They are having their needs met. And everyone is flourishing. And Luke tells us that this is the result of God's grace or the Spirit of God empowering and giving ability to His people to participate in the kingdom activity. This is all super exciting for them and for us. And it is the Holy Spirit that energizes this kind of activity. Notice that there is no obligation to be generous. The apostles are not forcing people to sell their land or give up their possessions. Everyone does it willingly and freely. And this wasn't a fixed practice. Notice that it says it happened time to time and not everyone was doing this. And so in this scene, we have two characters, Joseph and the couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Joseph and Ananias both had land. They were both of the same social status. They were both in community. The difference between them wasn't just that one gave all the money and others held some back, but how much they brought to the apostles was significant because it was a window into their motives. It was a window into their inner lives. And unlike Joseph, Ananias, and Sapphira were behaving more like adversaries to the Spirit, motivated by greed, self-centeredness, deception. And Luke makes note of this because their behavior is so different from what is going on in the larger community. What we know from the story is simply that it doesn't end well for them. They both meet their end after their encounter with Peter when they're confronted about their deception. And Luke doesn't tell us who's responsible for their end, so we shouldn't spend too much of our attention on it since it's not the point of the text. But also, if it were absolutely essential for the day-to-day, I think the text would have included it. However, it doesn't. So through whom or how exactly their end came isn't nearly as important as this point. Are we yielding to the Spirit? See, because yielding to the Spirit involves giving up our say. It involves giving up our way that makes sense for surviving because otherwise it's worse off for us. And in my life, yielding to the Spirit meant that I've had to stop giving in to the pressure to conform. For me, fitting in was a means of survival. I attended a Bible college, and as a student, I noticed that the people that were getting the ministry jobs were those that were most charismatic, the ones that sounded like your typical preacher, those that were funny, those that wore cool sneakers. And so for a moment, I tried to fit in so that I could get noticed. I tried to fit the type so I can be recognized and get a job. 
And I tried to sound and talk a certain way that wasn't like me at all. I tried to conform and the less and the more I was conforming, the less I was following the spirit. And the more I felt empty. And I think had I kept doing that, it would have been more destructive for me. And so I found that following the spirit in this and yielding to him is the key to the Christian life. It's the spirit that reminds us of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. It's how we rid ourselves of this thing called greed and every other symptom of not following the spirit. And so how does greed get shaken off? In the Acts community, I see several antidotes um, to greed that are essential in our journey with Jesus for the long run. And I think it would be good to lean into these. The first antidote that I notice is trust. Last week, I was driving down a really, really nice neighborhood, and I found myself envying those who owned the huge houses with their immaculate yards. And I started thinking of everything I could own if I had the resources that they had. I could own that sweet vintage FJ Cruiser that I've wanted. I can take Ashley to a BTS concert in South Korea and so much more. And the more I delved deep into my thoughts about all this, the darker it got. And when it got dark, I felt God snap me out of it. And what passed through my mind were the words, do you not trust me? When we fail to regularly trust God, we relapse to greed and envy. We relapse to our old way of thinking and making sense of the world. And fear is at the heart of greed. It says you'll never have enough to survive. However, Joseph and the Acts community were able to give up their possessions because they trusted that God would provide their every need. And a prerequisite to generosity is faith. We have faith that God has an abundance of the things that we need, not only for ourselves, but also for our community. And from that place, when we, when we start there, when we have an abundance mentality, then we can lay down our possessions. Then we can put aside our material things because we know the one who will take care of us. And sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking that what we own is ours. It's really not. And this is something I need to be reminded of pretty often. It belongs to God and it's entrusted to us. See, greed robs us and others of what our possessions are meant for, to bring joy to ourselves and to others. I love hearing the stories of how people at Bread have been generous and have given up of their time, others their money, and they have no idea that them doing that has sparked joy and faith in me. And I may not have even be a direct recipient. Um, but when we yield to the Spirit and trust what He's called us to do in being generous, joy ripples throughout the community. Joy ripples throughout the church. And who doesn't need more joy these days? And this leads me to my next point. 
The second antidote to greed is community. One thing I've noticed from being married is how much easier and enjoyable marriage is when I give myself away. When I was younger, I approached dating with the mindset, what can I get out of this? What, how can my needs be met? And I quickly learned that that greedy attitude was uh, not sustainable. And it actually left me feeling more insecure. But isn't it interesting how greed will leave us wanting more? It never really satisfies. The unchecked greed will actually take from others in our community as well as from ourselves. There is an aspect of our American Christianity that is consumeristic. It focuses on what I can get from the community rather uh, than focusing on the kingdom. It's after personal gain rather than seeing kingdom activity. And this was the problem with Ananias and Sapphira. They used the community for themselves. Um, And so Peter confronts them. I love what a theologian by the name of Willie James Jennings says. He observed this. He said, the community confronts the couple with a new truth. You belong to us. We do not belong to you. And what greed does is it subverts the truth. It says that we can take from others. It says we can take from the community. But what the gospel does is it reminds us that not only do we belong to Jesus, but we belong to one another. This is seen in the vertical and horizontal framework that Hannah pointed out last week. And it means that when one person hurts, we all hurt. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. We give of our resources to those in need. It means we choose solidarity and the collective over individualism. It means putting others before ourselves and seeking the good of the whole rather than the things that can get me ahead at the expense of someone else. And grace enables us to do all of this. The last point here, the antidote to greed is grace. When I was in Peru, we stayed at an orphanage north of Lima, and we went there to hang out with some kids and also just help this orphanage, um, you know, get cleaned up and, and get rebuilt uh, because they had very few resources. And when I was there, I met a kid by the name of Emerson. And Emerson was about seven or eight years old, and he was so happy to have us there. Uh, he showed us around the orphanage, and at one point, he brought out his toys and uh, played with us. And he had these little um, Star Wars minifigures. And these are just like your Star Wars version of a plastic green soldier. Um, but he was so excited to show these off to us. And I could tell that he was attached to them, that these were his favorite. He didn't have an Xbox or Nerf guns like we do here, but these were just as special and they were all that he had. 
And so we played with these minifigures for a while. And as the day was wrapping up, it was getting late and he had to go um, study and do his chores. He put his hand out and he had about five or six of these in the palm of his hand. And he said, Raul, you can have these. And I was moved um, because here I am thinking I'm here to help. I'm here to offer. I'm here to, you know, bring some sort of assistance. And here he is, the seven-year-old um, boy showing me what the grace of God looks like. He gave from what little he had not out of obligation or force or any merit of my own. I did not deserve it. Um, and he did so at a time when I was especially self-centered and self-serving. And this was a moment when grace was extended to me. And I saw what people are like when they've been told they don't have to hold on to what they own. They don't have to hold on to the things that belong to them. Grace says we can let go. We do not need to be afraid. We do not need to compete. We do not need to force our way. Grace turns everything on its head. It confronts our values and our logic and it subverts it all. And it's the spirit that enables us to choose grace over greed. See, grace meets us where we've been greedy, where we've been self-centered, where we've been not ourselves. And so let's admit where we may not have been like Joseph and the Acts community, where we may not have been following the spirit so that the Spirit can fill us and free us again. And the result of following the Spirit, the result of uh, committing to a life that is Spirit-filled is that it encourages others. It, it comforts those around us. Joseph was renamed Barnabas because of the encouragement that this practice brought to the community. And I want to be that kind of person. Um, in writing this talk, I've felt my own patterns of greed come to the forefront. And I believe that um, the best way to cast it off is to simply come to Jesus and say, God, I am leaving this here. Um, and so if you feel that maybe this is something that you need to do um, along with me, there's no pressure. Um, simply just follow what, where you feel the Spirit is leading. Um, but if you feel like, hey, you know what, I can, I relate. I, um, there are some patterns that I may need to lay aside, then feel free to join me in prayer. Um, I'm simply going to pray a prayer of repentance, which is turning away from 
greed, from these patterns that kind of trick us into thinking that, that greed is the way and turning to following the Spirit. Um, and so if you feel like this is something for you, then join me um, as I pray. God, I come before you right now. And Lord, thank you that you meet us with grace. Thank you that where I have been greedy, where I have been self-centered, where I have been uh, duplicitous, thank you that you come in and you have mercy, that you meet me with grace. And Lord, forgive us where we have relied on greed to take care of us, where we've counted on building up for ourselves, our possessions, our material things as a place of safety and not on you. And so Lord, right now we turn from that and we set our eyes on you, the one who cares for us, the one who has an abundance of what we need, the one who tells us who we are. And I thank you, um, God, that you fill us with your spirit. You enable us to do this. We don't have to force this. We don't have to do this in our own, but you give us the energy to do so. And so Lord, right now, um, we just set our eyes on you. And as we go into a moment of worship, God, we just ask that you would fill us again with your vision. Fill us again with your, uh, with your love, with your grace, and help us, God, to be a community that lays down our possessions, to be a community that sets aside our materialistic things, to be a community that says you first and lays down our individuality. God, please would you help us with this, that we may be a light, that we may see more of your kingdom activity in our midst. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings to you guys, and we'll see you soon. Hear my cry, O oh God, unto my pretend from the corners of the land, a cry to thee I'll send, and when I'm
for you have been for me A refuge by your power And from my enemies You've been my strong Higher than I Lead me to the rock That is higher